evening and turn to Ezra chapter 7. The question is this. Are you experiencing God's blessings on your life? Am I not on? Then I turned it on twice. Is that possible? Maybe it's muted. Let me try that. Is it on now? It is. Okay, somebody hit the mute button. Are you experiencing God's blessings? Can you live your life without God? There are a lot of Christians, they can live their life without God. They don't need to pray. They don't read their Bible. They just, they, they have become accustomed to living life without God. And many live life, uh, life without God's blessing. Many people in church live their life without God's blessing. But the minute they get into trouble, because they're living their life without God's blessing, they're living their life without God, the minute they get in trouble, they're calling someone who has God's blessings on their life to help them because they don't have God's blessing on their life. They have no way to solve it on their own because they live on the edge. God doesn't want you to live on the edge. Why? He wants to bless you. Ezra chapter 7 is a lesson about experiencing God's blessings. Ezra is experiencing God's blessings. And we want to talk about that tonight. Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts and that you would give us a vision of your love for us and your desire to bless us in all things. We are already overwhelmed at what you have done on our behalf with the county in these two areas, uh, literally uh, over uh, well over a million dollars in savings, if it was even possible that it would could be done. Uh, but you just uh, removed it, and we thank you and praise you uh, for what you have done uh, and intervening on our behalf. And I pray, Father, that that would not be an unusual event in the life of Christians, but that we would understand how, how great your love is for us and experience on a regular basis your blessings on our behalf. Speak to our hearts this evening. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> I'll just say, Victoria, I know you're up there working, but I don't see my Spanish speakers down here. So if you want to take the night off, you can. If you want to practice up there, you can certainly do that. Uh, all right, I'll leave that up to you. <clears throat> you think about people that had God's blessing. You think of some big name people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Daniel, uh, David. I don't know if I mentioned his name. But uh, certainly those people say, yeah, those are big name people. And we say, Ezra, take your Bibles and turn to Ezra. You're going, Old Testament, New Testament. Ah, it's got to be Old Testament. We're in the Old Testament, beginning or the middle or the end. Ah, you know, I, I think it's to the end somewhere. And we, we don't know Ezra as well, because Ezra is one of those no-name people. He's one of those average, everyday, run-of-the-mill guys that just wanted God's blessings. And he had it. I say that because many, many Christians say, I'm not an Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, 
Apostle Paul, I'm, that's just not me. I'm just, you know me, I'm just an normal, everyday messed up uh, Bob from Kentucky, right? And uh, God's not going to bless me. Yes, yes, he will. God bless Ezra. God can bless you. He's definitely blessed by God. Uh, he's not nearly as well known as those other guys, uh, but he is, uh, he's just an everyday guy like you and me. Uh, in the first five verses, we have uh, kind of a uh, begat, begot, son of, son of. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. I want to jump down to verse 6. Ezra went up from Babylon. And what do you notice uh, first about him? <laughs> and he was, I like to say, he was ready. He was a ready scribe. He was prepared. He was prepared. And if you're going to have God's blessings, you need to be prepared. He was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given and the king granted him all his requests. He was, he was a ready scribe, and he had a request. He knew what he wanted, and he asked, and God provided it. According to what? The end of verse 6 says, According to the hand of the Lord, his God, upon him. Again, here's Ezra, pretty normal guy, ordinary guy, ordinary guy in the life of the children of Israel, except for one thing. What's different about him? He has God's blessing on his life. Does God bless in Ezra, but nobody else? And when you say that, you accuse God of being a respecter of persons. You, you accuse God of evil. And God is not a respecter of persons. And he will give you his blessing. He will do that. Ezra, recover, Ezra the book of Ezra, covers uh, the events of the remnant, 3%. Again, we talked about them a couple of chapters ago. There were professionals. Uh, there were the rich. There were the blue-collar. There were the poor people. But 3% of the people answered uh, that call. The temple's being rebuilt under the ministries of Zerubbabel and Jeshua. Uh, the preachers, uh, Haggai and Zechariah, step up and help the work get started again. They inspired that work to continue and then chapter 6 comes to an end. I know there's not a lot of thickness from one side of the page to the other, but the timeline from the ending of chapter 6 to the beginning of chapter 7 is just about 60 years. Right at 50, 58, 57, uh, 59, depending upon who's counting uh, and, and how, you get, how do you get that. But... Uh, it's a significant period of time uh, that is transpiring. <clears throat> did the people have God's blessing in chapter 6? They certainly did. Uh, we can see that, uh, again, throughout the book. But a sad testimony between chapter 6 and chapter 7, the work is stopped. Even by the 3% that were willing to launch out. 60 years passed. What does that mean? It means there's a lot of people that went there originally, they were old, and now they're dead. And they failed to pass on that energy, that vision to the next generation. Or they tried to get the next generation to be inspired to serve the Lord, and they just, they got a cut. Same thing that happened in Babylon to the 97% that stayed there. They were comfortable in Babylon. They were comfortable in their work. They were comfortable in what they had done. And they had learned in Babylon to live without God's blessing. And now we're back in Israel. And within just a few short years, 
They have learned to operate without God's blessing. And as a result, uh, and, and they began, to, as a result of that, they began to blend with the pagan culture. And a result of blending with the pagan culture, starting to pick up some of the things that they did uh, in, in marriage and relationship and uh, shack, boys shacking up with girls, girls shacking up with guys. It wasn't good then. It's not good now. Uh, God didn't bless it then. God's not going to bless it now. But we have failed to teach that uh, to our children. And so our children raise up. They leave, they leave church. Uh, they're in the government schools, going through the government education system, going on to the government institutions of higher learning. And their, their roommates are having uh, uh, boys over there, girls over in the dorm, all kinds of things going on. The teachers are saying, you don't need to listen to God. And, and they don't. They, they don't, I don't. I don't have to listen to God. They come up with that result. It's the same thing that's happening in Ezra chapter 6 and 7. During Between those, those 60 years, they, have, they are adopting the pagan culture, and as a result, they are forfeiting God's blessing. You hear me? When you adopt pagan practices, you forfeit the blessings of God. And it's, and it's just as clear as that. Our young people need to know that. They need to hear that. They need to hear it from us. They need to hear it often, and then we need to make sure that we are living a lifestyle that is pure from the defilement of a pagan culture, because it's not just limited to teenagers and uh, young adults. It's all the way through line. Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, what are they? They're men with a burden. They're men with a burden to follow God. They're men that were willing to lead the comforts of Babylon and launch out to allow God to use them in a great way. And God did. Godly desire to help the people of God, the Jewish people, get back on track and get back to the work that God has called them to do. And if you let me say, Ezra's task, verse 6 and 7, is the same task that God has given to the pastor, to the deacons, to the bus workers, to the Sunday school teachers, to the Wednesday night teachers, to the children's church ministry teachers. Every one of us has an opportunity to inspire the next generation to serve God. <clears throat> Article came up, why, why should you warm up before a run? It's kind of interesting. I used to be a runner, and that uh, article about article about stretching, and then kind of run a little bit, and because uh, the older you get, uh, the stiffer you get. And to me, just getting out of the chair is a bit of exercise. And uh, when I get up, I Oh, you got to get things moving again. You move slow a little bit, and it gets worse as we get older. Uh, some of you would uh, would would testify to that. I'm I'm not that old yet, and I don't want to testify about that, even though it's probably true. <clears throat> so why do you do that? And this what this what the uh, your article will say. Uh, you shouldn't do it as an afterthought. If you're going to go out for a run, you should warm up ahead of time because it warms up your heart and it warms up your limb and it makes you less susceptible to injury, gets the blood flowing, gets your temperature up. And what are they talking about? They're talking about a brisk five-minute walk that tells your body to get ready for intense activity. 
say, preacher, what in, that, what in the world does that have to do with the message? Man, if you do a five-minute brisk walk in the morning in your Bible and your prayer time, say, preacher, really? Five minutes? That's all? Man, I'll tell you what. With some of you, I'd be some, some Christians, I'd be very happy with five minutes. Because if they do the five-minute warm-up, then they're going to be ready for the run, and, and they're going to run for God. But we're not, if you're not warming up, your heart is not going to be warm. Your muscles aren't going to be limber. You're not going to be ready for that intense run. And you're going to be an injury by the sideline of life. So get warmed up. Get in God's Word. It's, it's important. And as, as, as any running article will say, don't do it as an afterthought. You have to plan to be successful in a run. You have to plan to be successful in your run for God. Get up, warm up, get your heart ready. Isn't that important? And get out there and run for the Lord. It's important. Ezra did it. He had a prepared heart. Look at verse 10. The Bible tells us Ezra had prepared, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgment. He's not just taking it for himself. He's making sure others along the way know it as well. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Solomon put it like this in Proverbs. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Solomon said, I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to see what to do by looking at my life. Can you say that to your children, to your Sunday school kids? Walk with the Lord and follow me as I follow Christ, which is the way the Apostle Paul put it. Now, verse 11. Now, this is the copy of the letter that the king Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra the priest, the scribe, even a scribe of the words. How, did they, how are they describing Ezra in this verse? Even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. So, verse 6, we see that Ezra was a man that operated according to the hand of the Lord, his God, upon him. And verse 10, that he had prepared his heart. And verse 11, that he was a scribe that noted the commandments of the Lord and the statutes. Verse 12, Artaxerxes the king, king of kings, unto Ezra the priest. Notice it's said again, a scribe of the Lord a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Perfect peace. And at such a time. Look at verse 14. For as much as thou art sent of the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem, notice it again, according to the law of thy God, which is in thine hand. Look at verse 25. And thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God that is in thine hand, End of the verse. To do what? To teach ye them that know them not. Isn't that what we do in Sunday school? Children's church? Wednesday night? It should be. To do what? To teach them that know them not. Verse 26. And whosoever will not do the law of God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily upon him. What kind of judgment? Whether it be unto death or to banishment or the confiscation of goods or to imprisonment. Well, that's pretty serious. Can you imagine if we stood up in Sunday school and said, okay, now you hear me. You're going to obey God or we're going to banish you. <laughs> we're going to put you to death. 
going to take your property or I'm going to put you in jail. Uh, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? You think that might get somebody's attention? Oh, probably not. But it should. It should. It absolutely should. Ezra had, had a prepared heart. But Ezra also determined that he was going to be part of the solution. You can, you can spend the five minutes and then say, but I'm going to let somebody else do it. Or you can say, oh, Lord, if there's a task for me to do in front of me, uh, would you give me the strength, the power, the wisdom, the grace, the peace, the strength to do it, to fulfill it, to help, to teach, to be a part of the solution? There, because, and again, this is something that our young people need to hear. There is no peace or satisfaction in a life that is lived apart from God. My unsaved counterparts in police work do not understand that. Why, why, did you, why did you leave? Why did you go? Why aren't you still here? Man, we're, we're making all kinds of money. We've got all kinds of benefits. We've got a great retirement. And you left for what? Why did you? They don't understand. This one thing that the Christian ought to understand, there is no peace or success or purpose apart from a law, a life that is served for God. In Samuel's lifetime, Israel sinned and forfeited God's blessings. Philistines came and took the Ark of the Covenant. And as a result, the Philistines, they were plagued. So much so, they took that cart, they hooked it to, they hooked a cow to it that just had a cap. They hold the cap behind a Bellerin and they let go of the cart. Now, being a farmer, I know that when there's a, there's a mama Bellerin for her new calf, you best get out of the way because she's going to take you out. Because that's what nature has taught her to do, to protect her young, and she sees you as a threat. But when the Philistines hooked that mama cow to that car and they let her go and that baby was standing by the side of the road, that baby calf, just a bellerin, that calf did what, what only God could have done, and that cow took that cart back to Israel. What did Israel not have? Israel did not have God's blessing. But the world doesn't have it either. We should have God's blessing. The world is not going to get that apart from salvation. And so Samuel gave them an admonition in the seventh chapter, the first, uh, first Samuel, seventh chapter, third verse. Samuel spake unto the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange God and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. That's still good advice today. Are you tired of a life without blessing? You can fix that today. You can do that. If you're not part of the pro- solution, you are part of the problem. Who is that phrase credited to? It's credited as a misquote to Eldridge Cleaver. But i got to say, long before Mr. Cleaver said that, Joshua, in chapter 5, verse 13, said, As, are, you, are thou for us or for our adversaries? <laughs> and the angel said, A servant of the Lord of hosts, I am come to you today. Put off thy shoes, because you're on holy ground, buddy. And Joshua did. Joshua fell on his face. I ask you, are you part of the problem? Are you part of the solution? Are you going to walk with God? Or are you going to cause a problem for the people of God? I would, I would encourage you to be an Ezra, to have a prepared heart, 
to be determined to be part of the solution and determine that you're going to prepare, that you're going to take that warm-up time and then that warm-up time is not just five minutes at the beginning of the day to say, okay, I'm going to do the rest of the day on my own. But that warm-up time to get you ready for an extreme workout of, of working for the Lord. <clears throat> God's blessings count. God's bless- Here's the neat thing about God's blessings. They count now and for all eternity. The world promises happiness, but the end result is a way of death the way of emptiness, the way of pain, the way of misery. So, as I ask in Sunday school teachers meeting tonight, are you living for God? Are you living to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or are you living for the praise of the world? The praise of the world, uh, the world's got lots of praise to give out. But their praise stops at the grave. God's praise, God's honor, God's glory will last throughout all eternity. Life plus worldly gain to die without blessings equals what? Uh, terrible. But to live and to, and to die with God's blessing, with God's salvation is what? Man, it's, it's eternal. <clears throat> and blessings can be passed from generation to generation. Go back to verse 1. I told you we were coming back here. These, these first, as uh, uh, Brother Minion said Sunday, as a chapter that we'd skip. Too many names, right? No, notice this. And I'm going to leave you with a powerful thought in these first five verses. Now, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sherah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, son of Abidab, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merodab, the son of Zechariah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishu, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra, this one. Say, preacher, thanks for reading the names. doesn't mean a thing to me. Try this. I'll give you easier names. The son of Adrian. The son of Elwin. The son of Philip. That would be me for those of you that don't know what my first name is. The son of Daniel. This Landon. So it's neat. My grandfather, Adrian, my father's father, was not raised a Christian, but was challenged to accept Christ. As a result, he got my dad to church. My dad trusted Christ as his Savior. How old was he, Caitlin? He just told us. Young. Dad determined that he was going to raise his children to serve the Lord. That would be me. I determined that I was going to train my children to serve the Lord. That would be Daniel. Daniel, in my prayer, that he will teach his son Landon to serve the Lord. That's, amazing. That's what you have in these first verses. This Ezra, this Landon. You have that opportunity 
to foster that kind of heritage in your own life. But it doesn't come by accident. It comes on purpose. There's a movement in the Middle East for peace. And everybody pushes the two-state solution. But a man that is famous for Jewish politics, a historian, wrote an article. And this is what he said just recently. He said, in order for there to be, Brother Oldenburg, you're going to like this. In order for there to be a two-state solution, we must redefine two. We must redefine state. And we must redefine solution. Why? Because no one... He did not say this. This is my summation. Because no one is interested in God's solution. But we should be. You can have God's blessings on your life if you apply God's solutions in your life. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Ezra, just a regular, ordinary guy who just determined that he was going to walk with you. I pray, Father, in the room this evening, we find some ordinary people, Sunday school teachers, bus workers, children's church ministry, folks, soul winners, moms and dads, who would just say, I want to make a difference. I'm going to walk with God. And I'm going to teach those that follow me to do the same. And we'll praise you for the family history that we enjoy. Generations of men serving you. We'll praise you through your wisdom and your salvation through all eternity in Christ's name. Amen.